0: Amen. Good morning. good morning. That's good of you to answer. That's lovely. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Excellent. It's good. It? Thank you for leading us in worship, leading us uh, into God's presence. So, the ruthless elimination of hurry, based on John Mark Cohen. How are you doing with it? Uh, it's tough, isn't it? It's hard. It's easy to read these words, it's so much harder to put this stuff. Into practice. Someone spoke to me uh, this week who saw me, uh, I think it was last weekend on the Friday, saw me in the high street and they said I was going to stop you and say hello to you and I had somebody with me and I was going to introduce you, but I didn't because you looked like you were in a hurry. (laughs) The irony is not lost on me. Your church pastor preaching, teaching on eliminating hurry ruthlessly. From our lives was seen hurrying at Billericay High Street. <laughs> I knew who it was, I was just running away from them. No, I wasn't really. And <laughs> I I, a few weeks ago I said how dangerous hurry can be. That day I'd come out of the supermarket, had two bags of shopping, and I was rushing and hurrying around to get back home, and I tripped and I fell. I think I bruised a rib. <laughs> So it is. I didn't say it for sympathy. It's okay, but just so you know, you know, I, I like chocolate, crisps, cake. All of those things help in the healing process. But you know, it's it is it's this stuff can be dangerous. So friends, I may be preaching and teaching on it, but I'm I'm living it with you. It's great in theory. It's harder to put into practice when the alarm goes off tomorrow morning. You know, when your kids need ferrying to this group or that group, when you think, I'm going to get up early and I'm I'm going to spend some time with God, and for some reason, that's the moment the rest of the house decide to wake up early too and spend their time with you. Let me give you some practical advice. Use your bathroom. Seriously, if you haven't, it's normally the only house, the only room in the house that has a lock on it. If you haven't got a lock on your bathroom, get one. Get in there. You know, it's, it's your child doesn't understand, mummy just needs some quiet time with God, but they do understand mummy's on the loo. They understand that. So get yourself in the bathroom, lock the door and just be with God. This morning we continue with the series and last week we looked at the first of the four spiritual disciplines that Jesus implemented into his life, which was silence and solitude. And today we move on and we look at Sabbath. People have often joked with me at the minister saying, you don't need a day off, you don't need a Sabbath, you only work one day a week. And they chuckle as if that's the first time I've heard that joke. Just so you're aware, I've been a minister for 22 years. I've heard that joke often from all sorts of people. You only work one day a week, so you don't need that time off. In those lovely days, pre-children, when on a day off, you didn't have to set your alarm. Do you remember those days, some of you? Some of you think, no, trauma has blocked that out of my mind since children came along. But those days where if you have children, you didn't have to set your alarm if you had a day off, and you would just wake up when your body decided to to wake up. That was, some of you really need to think about that one, but it was lovely when you could do that. And and pre-children, my wife was working full-time, and I used to have, uh, I've always kind of had a Friday off, I used to have a Friday off, and and she used to get up quite early to go to work, because it was quite a drive to get to work. So not very often, she would drive to work and I was still in bed. And no, I didn't feel guilty about it in the slightest. It was lovely. And, and I used to have what became known in our family as Wayne's Day of Sitting. And I would sit on a Friday. And I would have a, a, a late breakfast. I'd have a coffee mid-morning. I would catch up on programs I recorded that that I hadn't seen in the week. I might, if the dog was lucky, go up the forest and take her for a walk, but that was rare. But I used to just, and I might have a snooze of an afternoon. I'd just have a day of sitting. Jen would come home, and I'd just washed the dishes just before she comes in to make sure I was looking I was doing something. But it became known in our family that my, it was my day of sitting. Basically, I was being lazy, but in that, was a need, was a desire to have some kind of rest. Of complete rest from the world in which I was living in. Maybe you're all fine when it comes to the practice of Sabbath. And you've got it licked, you're doing okay with it. But I suspect the truth is, many of us struggle to implement a true Sabbath into our lives. And by Sabbath, I'm talking every seven days. Because we, for some reason, we live in a world where rest is seen as weakness. We live in the world of the holiday carryover, where very often you you can, you're allowed to carry over a certain number of holidays that you didn't take this year to next year. And we kind of feel quite smug about ourselves when actually there was 10 days of holiday I didn't take, but I can only carry on over five. Look how wonderful and how busy I am and how hard I've been working. Friends, it's not a competition. Your holiday is there to help you to recharge, to give you rest, to to rest from your mind and your body. But we live in that world where it's natural to carry over holiday. It's almost an expectation from the world in which we work that we won't take all of that holiday. I remember being in a minister's meeting many years ago and there was a guy um, and he was a minister of another church and he started talking about the, the time off we get as ministers and the Sundays off that we get throughout the year and he kind of berated us as ministers for taking all of our Sundays off a year can <coughs> I just say that's nine we get nine out of 52 and he said if you take all of your five week holiday if you take your nine Sundays off you're doing a disservice to your congregation how on earth can you get to know them if you're, you're hardly ever there and I think, I would, I've i got a maths level nine, 52, I'm, I'm kind of there I went away feeling, first of all, incredibly guilty that I want time away from my church. I'm new here, but guys, I want time away from you. You need time away from me, trust me. We're only six, seven weeks in. Trust me, in a year or two, you'll need some time away from me. You know, but 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 it's that. And then I realized as as the years went on that Noah, I think that guy was wrong. Because Rest, true rest, is a biblical principle. And when we fail to rest, we are, we are giving back to God the gift that he has chosen to give to us. So let me throw a rhetorical question to you. Which of the following lists best describes you and your life? List A includes things such as living with margin in your life, slowness, quiet, time alone, enjoyment, clarity, gratitude, contentment, trust, peace, to name but a few? Or do you live with things on list B, which include busyness, hurry, noise, crowds, envy, confusion, greed, discontentment, worry, anxiety, again, to name but a few? The chances are your life may have a slight mixture of both of those. But which list best describes your life? You see, list A speaks of a life of restfulness. And list B speaks of a life of restlessness. Sabbath was created by God to enable us to live a life of restfulness. But in reality, our world pushes us into a life of restlessness. Where do you live from? A spirit of restfulness or a spirit of restlessness? We often live with a sense of restlessness because in life we always think there's more. We want more. I don't know if any of you have seen Anton Deck's Limitless Ladder on a Saturday night. If you don't know who Anton Deck is, where have you been for the last 20, 30 years in television? But Limitless Ladder is a game show that Anton Deck, uh, hosts on a Saturday night, and it's called Limitless because there is no limit to what a contestant can win if they answer the question right. They will give away £10 million if that's where you got to. And we were watching it the other day because we enjoy that as a family, and we were watching it, and, and these two people who were, you play as a team of two, and they had banked a hundred thousand I think the next question, if they got it right, they would bank £250,000. And there's a button. It's the cash-out button. And if you're a bit unsure, you can hit the cash-out button and you win what's in your bank. Are you with me? Yeah, we're not going to play it, don't worry. I don't think the Treasurer will say we've got a limitless amount of money to give you. Oh, go on, let's play it. No, I'm only joking. So, so they had £100,000. The next question came up, and they knew the question. Yet they started to be unsure, because if we get it wrong, we're going to lose 100K. So they cashed out. How bad am I that all I'm thinking about is, you could have won 250,000 pounds. What's the matter with you? You could have had more, yet they had 100,000 pounds. You know, hands up if you've ever won 100,000 (coughs) pounds. Nobody? Oh, If you have, 10% to the church. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm thinking you could have had more. And I'm looking at that hundred thousand pounds as if it's nothing. And that's the world that we live in a world where we, we just, we're never satisfied. You know the song from 1965 by the Rolling Stones I Can't Get No? Living in the world too much, you guys are. <laughs> But, you know, I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no. Such deep lyrics, aren't they? You know? But the meaning behind that verse of the song, we won't go on to some of the other stuff in the song, but the meaning behind that verse of the song is, is a reference to the media and how it's always pushing us to want more and to want more and to want more. And the more we have, the more we will want. Because our spirit is a spirit Of restlessness. Sorry if now that's an earworm and you're singing that song in your head. We can only ever be satisfied by the one who is eternal and has no limits. That is God. Our desires are infinite because we are made by the one who is infinite. So when we pull away from God, the desire for always more remains but it will then have a desire for more in other things, not of God to satisfy its hunger. You see, the hunger, the desire to always have more, will always be there, because God is infinite. Yet if we pull away from God, that desire moves to things other than that of God. And that is where we live, with a restless spirit. Now these practices, these ways of Jesus, were modelled by Jesus, so that we would live with a restful spirit, but we only experience that if we follow Jesus. Remember, we're to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus would do if he were us. And Sabbath is a way to how we can find restfulness as it involves stepping away from the world. The word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, and and that word means to stop. Another translation of that word is to delight. So, in Sabbath, we're to stop so we can delight. Notice this word doesn't say you can scale back your activity. It doesn't say just ease up a little bit. It says you're to stop, to to cease, so that you can delight. There's a holiday advert on TV. At the moment you might have seen it where there's a, a lady, she's sat at a, a beach bar somewhere looks like a Caribbean, somewhere hot and sunny because it's January and February and they're trying to sell us holidays. And there's a guy who sat next to the bar with, up with her and he's got his laptop open and he's working and his phone rings. And she grabs the phone off him and she shoves it in a pitcher of water. And she says, we need to stop. And her phone rings, she answers it, she goes, no! And she throws it into the pitcher of water. And the whole idea of it is that we need to stop. That is Sabbath. The person who wrote that TV advert doesn't realize that, but there's so much power and truth in that. That we are to stop, to cease from work, to cease from the activity. You know, it's not a new idea. For God created and established the pattern of Sabbath right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we read these words. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And by blessing the Sabbath, declaring it holy, God established a pattern, a rule, a way of life for us. Not out of a sense of duty, but because it is good for us. Notice the Bible tells us what God's Reaction to all he's created was. He, he creates on day one, on day two, and day three, and he looks upon all that he's said and done and says it was good. Friends, God created Sabbath a day every week for you to stop because he knows that this is good, and it is good for you. And this is a pattern that God has created. It's not just a one-time off. As John Mark Comer says, it's a way of being in the world. The day of Sabbath enables us to live the other six days well. And so we get to Sabbath every seven days. It's not just that two-week holiday in the summer. Every seven days we get to Sabbath. Sabbath is set for us as a gift it's an invitation from God to teach us to rest, to delight, and to cease. Someone has described the Sabbath as, as a governor on the speed of life. If you think of a governor that's, that's put on, well, on a vehicle to restrict the speed that it can go. You know, you can see lorries and vans, and it's, this, it's been restricted to 56 miles an hour or whatever it is. A governor on the speed of life, Sabbath is there as a governor to restrict our sense of doing. But we spend much of our energy either ignoring it altogether, trying to work out how we can get the governor off, or trying to justify why a Sabbath doesn't apply to us. And I think we ignore the Sabbath for many reasons. But two main reasons we ignore the Sabbath, I think, are one, we don't see the Sabbath for what it really is. And by this, I mean when we hear the the word Sabbath, we we think of boring Sundays when we were younger. We're not allowed to have the TV on. Can't have the radio on. Can't go to a shop. Can't have any fun at all, but we we see that sitting in a room, nice and quiet, a, a day that has no life in it. Other than going to church. And for this reason, we've made the Sabbath all legalistic and it gives us an excuse not to practice it. But look at Jesus. When Jesus breaks the Sabbath law, as set by the Pharisees, as part of their, their over 600 laws, individual laws that they had of what you can and cannot do, he is usually found hanging out. It's not, it's not a, a day of, of boredom, a day of, of, of nothingness. He's usually found hanging out. He is slowed the pace of life down for a day. He hangs out with his disciples and has no time pressures, so he coolly picks some corn as he's walking through the fields. As he picks the corn, the Pharisees go, got you. Got you. Law 422 says, do no work on the Sabbath. That's classed as picking work. work. All he's doing is hanging out, walking in the cool of the day, just pick some corn, and they pounce upon him. It's quite ironic, because you could say that a Pharisee who is upholding and enforcing the law is also working on the Sabbath, couldn't you? And he's breaking the law that they're trying so hard to uphold. Jesus may break the Pharisaic law of Sabbath, But Jesus doesn't break the Sabbath. Jesus and his friends are hanging out, celebrating the day. And Jesus comes back to the Pharisees with a line that really hits them when he says something like, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Think about the first part of that verse. The Sabbath was made for man. Friends, the Sabbath was made by God and it's for us. It's a gift that God has for us. It was made so we can rest and recharge. Let's not get all, we're, we're, we're not practicing the Sabbath because it's simply a Jewish legal thing, or we're not practicing the Sabbath because it's an outdated concept, or it's just boring because it's not. The Sabbath is a gift from God, and it's a gift for, for God has for every single one of us, regardless of what our life is. God has this gift for all of us. Sabbath is not simply attending a church service on a Sunday, but it's rather a day, a full day, a full 24 hours, where we slow down, where we stop, and where we sit with God. And when it is done properly, Sabbath is not all quiet and boring, but it's life-giving. One writer has argued that we simply don't know how to sit with God anymore. And can I just say that's not sitting in complete silence and solitude for 24 hours. We have failed in our modern world to understand what Sabbath is and I think because of that we're paying the price for it. I really think we're paying the price for it. The second main reason we don't Sabbath is full, full of irony for we say we're too busy, busy to Sabbath. <laughs> haven't got time to Sabbath. Let me read the passage from Genesis again. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. Can I just ask, you've got really important jobs. Has anybody here created the heavens and the earth? Just throwing it out there. Hands up if you think your job is not as hard or as busy as creating the heavens and the earth. Not, is it. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. John Mark Comer asked us in his book, did we catch that? God rested. He then goes on to list some human objections to the Sabbath. Yeah, I'm not really into the Sabbath. I'm an extrovert, and I just, I just have to stay busy. And in our previous church, there was somebody who disagreed with the biblical principle of rest. Because they felt they get close to God by doing things. And yes, you can, and lots of people do. But that doesn't mean you don't rest. God rested. Yeah, I get the Sabbath thing, but I work a demanding job that I love, and I just can't make the time because... God rested. Yeah, but I've got two little kids at home and it's just not really doable right now. Maybe later when I'm... God rested. And in this rest, God created a rhythm into the DNA of creation. It's a, it's a tempo that he invites us to follow. You see, Sabbath is a gift. It's an invitation from God to step out of the restlessness and step into the restfulness. Not because God wants to confine us, but because he wants, us, he wants to enrich us. He wants us to live well. People who keep Sabbath live all seven days well. In the New Testament, the writer of the Hebrews talks about Sabbath in chapter 4. He says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So from the beginning of time, into the New Testament into Hebrews, God's promise of entering rest still stands. And I would say 2,000 plus years later, it still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this is good news that God has prepared this rest. And later on in this chapter we read, So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. Did you catch that? Not to make any of us feel guilty here, but when we fail to enter this rest, we're disobeying God. It's a command of his. God invites us to rest Gives us rest and commands us rest. Not because he's on some power trip, but simply because he knows what is good for us. When we fail, friends, to allow the rhythm of Sabbath to be part of our lives, we choose to live lives of restlessness. And when we do that, we will live the rest of our lives at least one step away from God. There's so much more we could say. We could do a whole series on Sabbath. Let me just draw this to a close. I just want to offer a practical note here when it comes to Sabbath. But John Mark Comer says when it comes to Sabbath, that day of rest, that stop, that, that, that stopping and delighting, he says you do you. And by that he means what the Sabbath looks like for you will be different from somebody else. Also, what it looked like 10 years ago may be different now because you're in a different season of life. Sabbath is not simply a day off where you get to do all the jobs that you don't get paid for. Sabbath is rest and worship. And and no, this doesn't mean you have a day of sitting uh, in choir and listening to 24 hours of worship music unless that's what blesses your soul. But for example, John Mark Comer says on his Sabbath, which they do as a family every, every week, every seven days, they turn off all mobile phones for 24 hours. I see some of you gone ashen at the thought of that. They turn all mobile phones off and he has a big uh, box and they put it in there and that's it for 24 hours. They have a lazy breakfast. They have a mid-morning coffee. They might go for a walk or read. They make some bread and homemade soup. They open a bottle of wine in the evening. And they share that together around a table. And they share stories. And they laugh around the table. And they invite friends over sometimes. You see, the wonderful thing about God is that he gives us Sabbath, but he's not prescriptive about what we should do on it. Whatever gives you rest, and whatever is worshipped to you, Do that on the Sabbath. Rest and worship for you might be a walk. It might be spending some time saving a good coffee or as John Mark Comer does, a nice bottle of wine. It might be doing that on your own as a family. It might be doing that with friends. It might be some exercise. It might be, and will be a whole host of things, but to Sabbath, do whatever gives you rest and what gives you worship to God. But to do it well, You have to plan for it. It doesn't just happen. You have to plan for your Sabbath. But if you plan for your Sabbath and you do it, and it will take time, if it's not a practice that you follow, it will take time to get into your rhythm. But over time, you'll think, wow, why did I not do this before? So you see, This is far more than simply church for a little bit on a Sunday morning. This is a rhythm of rest and worship that is restorative for the soul and it grows our relationship with God and it repairs us. Do you know why sleep is important? Because your body repairs itself when you sleep. Do you know why Sabbath is important? Because it repairs your soul and it enables you to live the rest of the six days well. To so move away from the boring and legalistic idea of Sabbath and see it as a wonderful gift that you get to unwrap every seven days. And one last thing as we finish. Notice in the verse in Genesis we read, And God blessed the seventh day. If you read those opening verses of Genesis, God blessed three things He blessed animals and told them to be fruitful and multiply, He blessed humans. He told them to be fruitful and multiply, and then God blessed Sabbath. So God blessed animals, humans, and he blessed a day. John Mark explains this in these words. It means the Sabbath, just like an animal or a human being, has the life-giving capacity to procreate, to fill the world up with more life. Friends, when we Sabbath, we not only fill our own lives up with more of God's, but we fill the world up with more God-given life because we are better for it. So when we Sabbath, we bring more of Jesus into the world. Wow. I love that. How good is that? Because Jesus works through us to speak and meet with other people. So when we are well, when we Sabbath, when we enjoy the blessing of that day that God gives us, we fill ourselves up with more God-given life, and that overflows into all we may. So, friends, will you delight in God by seeking to bring Sabbath into your life's rhythm—not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of love and need. I just want to ask this, can you just sway with me? Just sway. No reason, you just look silly as you're doing it. No. <laughs> All of these principles, there's a rhythm to it. I love rhythm because I'm a drummer. But there's a rhythm to it. And we just move with God, in tune, in step. With God, some of you have stopped swaying. <coughs> you need to loosen up a little bit. You may be in church, but you're in God's house. You know? mm-hmm. Jesus is going to be dancing. You just sway and move with him to get in step into the rhythm that God has for you. You may watch Strictly come dancing. I watch it because I have to Have you noticed the, the professional dancers don't have any inhibitions with this way, with their dancing? If you notice, they get a celebrity in those first couple of weeks? They're like, they're like the wooden tops, you know, they're, 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 they're stiff. But when they get into it and say, Now you've got it, now you've got it, you're just moving in step with your partner. Sabbath moving in step with Jesus. So we dance in his rhythm and it gives us life. More life than we could ever know. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your creation, your blessing, your gift of Sabbath. Father, I just pray that you would show us this week, not from a oh, aren't we awful, we haven't done it but from a loving Father's heart. Maybe we start small. What are the things we can put in place so we start to enjoy the blessing and the benefit of Sabbath? Yeah. Thank you, Father, for the gifts that you give us and that those gifts give life. Amen.